Welcome to this series of podcasts for FinTech CTO Club, a community where tech executives learn and share best leadership practices. Here, Vasil Soloschuk, CEO of Insart and the author of FinTech CTO Club, will discuss burning topics on the FinTech product development arena with the technical leaders in the industry. This is episode 3 of our podcast. We are going to talk with Hazem Pariskar, a CTO at Vela, a startup providing holistic financial insights and planning via AI-driven chatbot called Benjamin. So could you please introduce yourself, what's your current role and what's your background in the fintech as actually? Sure. Uh, my name is Hazem Pariskar. I am the CTO of Wella. Um, Wella is a B2B SaaS-based platform. We're building a digital assistant for the financial advisor space. Um, my background in fintech, I've been, I've been in technology for 20 years now. Uh, spent a lot of my time with fintech, um, a bulk of that in, in the institutional space. Um, I've done some retail fintech and now here um, at Wella, it's uh, fintech around the financial retail financial advisor space. Okay, got it, got it. So, um, in the current role, so what are the major challenges that you face as a, as a CTO? Sure, the major challenges um, recently is software development isn't just coding, isn't just developing. Software development to me is the, the whole life cycle, cycle from ideation, before ideation, understanding what problems exist, mm -hmm. understanding what our prospects or clients' problems are, ideating around how to best solve it. I don't want to say for scale, but solve it for more than three or four clients, not just one. And then from that, you ideate, there's a feedback loop, then you have your initial specs, then you have your UX, UX, UI design, then it comes to development, and then you have your stories, then you have to essentially translate what the module, what the feature is back to the development team. At that point, development team will code it, or will develop it to the best of their abilities uh, with high quality, then it goes back to testing to make sure things are working, and then it goes back to uh, the stakeholder, the person who asked, the team who asked for it to make sure it meets the criteria and then releases the client. What, what I'm, I'm, uh, the struggle today is um, bottlenecks and understanding that instead of, hey, we have a really good idea, let's have the development developers just develop it. I'm trying to push more for, hey, do some work in front of the process. Because at the end of the day, Every line of code has a, has a dollar value and it's cheaper to have a discussion with a potential client or a prospect about, hey, here's what we're, we're going to design for you. Will you buy it? Will you use it? Versus spending six weeks, eight weeks with developers coding it. And then once it's done, no one's going to use it. So the struggle right now is, is um, trying to open it up. And I just don't want to focus on just the development part of the life cycle, I want to spend time across the spectrum. Okay, okay, got it, got it. So um, another question I have, how do, you, how do you split your time across different things uh, that you need to take care about as a, as a CTO, 
as soon as you know you need I mean, you maybe you you use some of the time management techniques yourself uh, how do you prioritize things yourself so sure um, I, mean, I mean I think you just said it prioritization is understanding what I mean you have a couple buckets you have critical has to get done ASAP another bucket is needs to get done but th there's a deadline there's a timeline another bucket is will be nice to have done and then there's also a fourth bucket that it will never get done so trying to real-time optimize that um, in my role today just because a company well is a smaller company I need to come in almost day-to-day -day basis and kind of understand what the priorities are and mm -hmm. executing those. Um, and also some time boxing. So, I mean, I can't work on a priority two or three and in my head, it's going to be an hour and I spend the whole afternoon on it. So it's time boxing. And um, one more thing is delegating. Not everything. Um, the leader shouldn't do everything. The CTO shouldn't do everything. So understanding what can be delegated and, what delegation comes trust and confidence in your team. So as that grows, the less onus will be on me and I can kind of just start pushing it out to the team. Um, and um, with delegation, you're still responsible. You can't just push it to your, uh, your uh, team member and expect them to do it, but it's, it's, it's a lot less um, work on your plate. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, you know, uh, it's, all, it's also very important, you know, to structure your uh, engineering team in the right way to deliver, you know, on, result, uh, on, on the goals. And uh, what's your experience here? So, I mean, how big is the current team? How do you structure it? What maybe you can share some insights uh, how, how to do it in, in, in the most efficient way? Sure. So, so currently, um, as of two weeks ago, we have, it's, it's myself and my role, I'm trying to transition to more of a product and R&D role. Um, I hired a head, head of engineering and that person will be taken on, uh, it'll be head of engineering slash VP engineering. This person will be managing the team and making sure execution is optimized. Um, mm -hmm. And then right now I have one more developer um, here with us, a junior developer, and then we have a team um, offshore that we're utilizing um, and trying to manage that all as a team, even though they're distributed. Um, so that's the, current, um, that's the current layout. What I would like to get to and what I have had experience in the past is a team of probably five to six engineers and you have a, a pseudo team lead. You have also, including that team, I want a business analyst. I want a business analyst, a part of that team, and potentially, depending on what you're working on, maybe a UI engineer. So that is a well-formed agile team. Um, and having, at my level, I can manage maybe three to four of those teams and make them very, very product-focused. So one of those teams is very focused on product X, Y, or Z. Um, having the product, uh, the BI uh, person in the team associated um, goes a long way from my experience. Okay, okay. So thank you. And uh, you know, another question I have uh, uh, for the uh, you know for the smaller company, maybe for startup, uh, uh, it's very important to as as we discuss also to prioritize things. But uh, uh, you also need to tackle with the uh, somehow technical depth. And uh, when you 
and, it, and you need to, to solve some technical debt issues and you need to deliver some business value. So how do you split the time of the team between, you know, like doing, uh, eliminating like technical debt things and maybe solving some architecture issues and uh, tasks and between delivering the uh, real business features. So do you have any, any approach here? Sure. Sure, I do. Uh, I mean, technical debt happens, and I would I, I would say that a company that has te no technical debt, like it doesn't exist. Um, mm -hmm. If it does, they're probably spending too much time on architecture, not enough time in the business. Um, mm -hmm. What what I like to do there is 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 more transparency. Transparency. Explain the trade offs to the stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Explain that hey, this task I could get done in let's say two weeks, but then the trade-off is there's gonna be two extra weeks of technical debt down the road. Or I could spend three weeks to do it properly. Again, it's all situational based that if we have a, a prospect that's gonna pay us a lot of money, a big contract that needs it done in two weeks, guess what decisions gonna be made? Let's kick the can. What, I mean, what I need to be cognizant of is even though we said, hey, it's going to be two weeks technical debt, I need to be the champion. I need to be the product owner of technical debt. So in the sprint meetings, I need to be over there raising my hand and saying, hey, look, in the sprint, we have this many allocations. I need this high priority in sprint five. Um, if not, what's going to happen is it's going to keep on getting deferred because technical debt will not inherently buy you new clients. It's not going to bring you more revenue, but – what's going to happen, a project down the road is going to take, instead of two weeks, it's going to take six weeks because of that. So um, also another technique I've used is, I don't want to call it buffering, but as we do new client features and new tasks, I will attach a little piece of technical debt to each one. So it's not a big deal. Essentially, the, pro the task will go from two days to two and a half days, but I have bought myself half a day of cleaning something up um and then again i go back to transparency if i could prove that hey look i spent a week tackling technical debt but now all your projects going forward are going to be 20 percent less in time that's inherently this roi for us okay okay got it yeah so this definitely makes makes sense another question i have you know, when you build a product from scratch and going forward, uh, you need to introduce uh, uh, the new uh, the technologies that actually you, you use to build the, uh, this application. So, what is your approach? What's your decision-making process? How how do you select the proper technologies to build the solution? You know, starting from the what kind of language to use. What okay. kind of architecture to use? What kind of frameworks to use? Sure. So, well, I mean, I can answer at a high level. I'll get deeper also. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, what I, what I do now, I, I'm not the person who goes and reads the blog about the newest Node framework and then I have to use it. I, when I present in a project, a feature, a task, I try to understand the business problem. What is it trying to solve? Okay, so number one, what is it trying to solve? Secondly, okay, scalability. Is it gonna solve it for five clients or 20 billion clients? Mm -hmm. So I need to understand that. And 
from that, I go back to my past. I, I, I've done a lot of the projects in the past. So I look at my experience and say, okay, for this project. And also one thing that people do not think about is candidates team. If I, let's say I'm starting a new startup, I'm in Atlanta and I say, Hey, I want to use go, go land. That I really like how we use it. There's not a big candidate pool of Golang engineers right now in Atlanta. So it's going to be very hard to scale and and hire a team. So I I try to understand what my options are, um, scaling out the team, candidates, just expertise. So um, currently what I'm doing at Wella, we're using uh, Laravel, which is a framework on top of PHP and Angular 8. Um, Mm -hmm. The team I have, um, engaged with is very, very experienced. They're actually on the Laravel certification track. So mm-hmm. I have expertise there. It, it, I could use Node. I could use a Next.js. I could use something else in the back end, but then I'm going to have to essentially reteach the developers, potentially get a new team and kind of go through that. So what is more important right now to the business as a small startup is to get product out first to market um, instead of, hey, I'm going to have a brand new framework that's going to be awesome. Um, and then when I mentioned scale, if I know that the maximum client base is 300 clients, I don't have to really go and do and bring in queues and pubs up. I could do it very, very basic three-tier application. Um, if I know that, hey, it's, it's going to be fast search, and it's going to be very, very volume usage, uh, or it might store documents, I might go to like a NoSQL solution. Um, I just need to understand what the task is, what problems they're trying to solve, and also who's going who's gonna to be using it. Um, and that determines what languages, what frameworks, and what direction I go. Okay, makes sense, makes sense. So what about other tools um, for like communication for CICD process that you use? Are you talking more about the team or the platform? I mean, from the platform perspective and also for the team communication and management. Okay. So we use, I mean, uh, tell me if I'm wrong answer, but we use Jira. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're looking for, communication amongst the team? Yeah, yeah. Okay. actually Jira is for project management, project tracking. And don't you use like Slack or something else? Yeah, we do. So yeah, okay. So we use Slack. Um, we, we slack a lot. Again, the team here in Atlanta, um, since we're all kind of staying together, it's a lot of just, just face-to-face talks. But with the team in India, since you're not here, uh, a lot of slack um, and a lot of kind of JIRA going back. I know JIRA is project management, but we do a lot of communications through it, explaining mm-hmm. use confluence also, uh, which is kind of tied to JIRA, a separate product. But we try to explain um, because we're, I mean, with working with a offshore, I don't even say offshore, when working with uh, teammates that are not in the office, it's best to over-communicate. Because mm-hmm. if I'm in the office, I can come to your desk and say, hey, I meant this versus this. It's hard when they're not here. So we tend to over-communicate. We use a lot of Slack um, and we use Confluence and Jira. So as soon as you have the remote team and or let's say distributed team, so what are the, you know, what are the pros and cons having that kind of team? Like, sit, I mean, like uh, in comparison, like sitting in one room and having the distributed team. So they're 
I mean, like there are some maybe pros for the one sure. approach and for the current approach that you sure. have. So, mm -hmm. so I would say, I mean, a couple of the pros are um, economics. Um, economics, it's right now our, our, our fees are cheaper going offshore. Uh, and um, second of all, it, all, it also opens up a candidate pool. Then instead of, hey, I need to hire engineers in Atlanta within 10 miles of the office, in theory now, my candidate pool is global. It doesn't really matter where they sit, it's just as long as they can execute. Um, pros, so, I mean, and then inherently the cons are, it's hard to whiteboard. If me and you want to brainstorm on something right now, it's hard to just get into a room, a conference room, and start talking about design. Um, and again, time zones is, um, is, is again, for, for my, my arrangement with the team, they work from 4 a.m. to like 11 a.m. Eastern. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of overlap in the team. It's not completely backwards. It's not completely um, other side. So um, mm -hmm. it just seems like, and also a lot of the stuff we're working on now, um, it's easy. I, I could easily explain it on paper via Gia or Slack and have mm -hmm. them execute. Um, some of the core stuff that we're working on, some of the co highly complex stuff we're working on, I'll work it on it. I'll work on it with the team here and lay out the architecture and then explain it and have the team, um, the offshore team work on it. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So, uh, another question I have is, uh, about the, uh, knowledge transfer and, uh, actually how do you learn yourself and how do you enforce your team to learn? So do you have any approach, any formal approach, non-formal approach here? What's, what works for you the best, like maybe reading books or maybe attending conferences, workshops, or just talking yeah. to other experts? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say, I mean, knowledge transfer is, a, um, is, is one of my struggles right now, one of our strugglers, uh, struggles. Um, what we have inherently done is um, knowledge transfer through code, and I try to coach them through the code. Um, say, hey, look, here's how I want the, the REST API names to be, how to organize and kind of teach them how the structure should be. Um, myself, how I kind of learn new technologies and just learn what's out there is read a lot of blogs, read a lot of hacker news. And instead of just trying to figure out the newest best framework is understanding uh, from experiences. So a, a lot of the personal blogs that say, hey, Here's a problem I tackled. Here's how I tackled it. Here's what went good and what went bad. So the great thing is someone else has made that mistake, so I don't have to remake it to learn. I'm going to learn from you or someone else. Um, that's personally how I learned. Um, and, the, the, yeah, the struggle now is, great, I learned this. How can I let my team know this? And like I said before, I just do that through the code base right now. Okay, got it, got it. So another topic is about the integrations and, you know, it's in, in fintech world, uh, we need to, uh, to integrate to, with many different other providers and solutions uh, to be, you know, uh, to be able, you know, to partner with uh, other players in the ecosystem. So actually what's, uh, what, what, what uh, are your strategy in regards of integrations? Uh, what have you done? Uh, what APIs do you provide yourself? What integ integrations have you, have you done uh, sure. uh, using other providers? And also from the technology and technical perspective, 
what are the major issues and challenges that you face when you integrate with other um, APIs and other platforms? So yeah, I mean, so I mean, our platform named Benjamin, um, we want to sit in the middle of your daily processes uh, in the fintech world. So integrations are very, very key to us. Currently, we have good integrations with Wealthbox, Salesforce, um, working on Fidelity, working on, we have integration with Schwab, um, uh, Redtail, so a couple of the different CRMs. Juncture, we have um, some integrations with them. We, we currently do not have any APIs for our clients to use inherently until, I, I'm sure we'll have them eventually when, when someone needs them. Um, and most of our integrations have to come from client need. Uh, we talk to a client and they say, hey, we currently use Orion, Salesforce, and Wealthbox. So then we try to integrate to all three of them because we want our platform to kind of talk to all three and, 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 and make decisions off the data from all three. Um, with uh, some of the struggles with, their, with integrations, technically, again, each integration is made differently. Um, Wealthbox, for example, has a very, very clean REST API, very good documentation. Uh, Juncture, on the other hand, not, not the best. Um, so it's not one size fits all. I can't just say, hey, I'm going to integrate and done. I know there's products out there, I think Zapier is, is trying to tackle this, that they integrate and you just, it's, it's common. But so we have done that. Um, another struggle is the, the volumes of data, the amount of data and the mapping. Um, for example, Wealthbox has XYZ, we might have Q, W, and M. So we, I'm creating a, a intelligent mapping layer in the middle, and I want to expose that to the end users so they can kind of see it graphically, say, hey, Wealthbox has this, we have this, let's map the data and, and make decisions there. Um, so each integration is almost a project with, within itself. We could take bits and pieces carry them forward but um it's a uh, yeah it's a new project every time also each integration has a different authentication method a lot of the a lot of the guys do oauth which is good so we don't, we don't have to hold the keys or or secrets or anything some of the some of the providers just give you a client secret some just give you a password or a token um so just having the platform um could do whatever kind of integration whatever kind of authentication is key okay got it got it so um i have a few few more questions uh so the uh the one is about the trends in the fintech and how we can i mean the trends like for example going mobile to drive more clients through the mobile channel um the other is like using ai and machine learning techniques uh over the all the data that we have, you know, to provide the kind of insights for the decision making process. So there are a couple other trends. So what would you what what maybe would you uh, would you name like the major trends that uh, we should uh, take care about, uh, you know, to be successful uh, tomorrow? Sure, I would say. I mean, with, with mobile apps, um, the, I mean, we're in 2019. The assumption is that. Everyone has a mobile app. So what, what's happening if you don't have a mobile app, people are asking for it. So it's kind of becoming um, something uh, at par that you should just have one. Um, 
the machine learning AI, um, I think a lot of people misuse the terminology. Um, everyone wants to have machine learning, everyone wants to have AI. Again, what is the problem we're trying to solve? And sometimes it's hard um, with technology. Your end user doesn't know that we could solve a potential problem, so they won't bring it up. It's like um, Ford back in the day. They didn't just make a faster horse, they made a vehicle. So it, it, no, one, no one asked for a car, everyone wanted a faster horse. So that, that analogy, so sometimes with the newer uh, trend, trendy um, things in, in the market space, it's hard to go out to your clients and say, hey client, if we could predict, like for example, uh, again, we're in a financial advisor space. If we could predict that a client will cancel the relationship within three to six months, is that valuable to you? Yes, it's very valuable. But the thing is, no one's going to ask me for that. No one's going to say that's a problem of mine. So as we're building a digital assistant, that's something that I want to start looking at. We have the data. We have the transactions. And again, this is coming human nature. When you're going to hire a new financial advisor, what signals do you do in your data? Do you start taking withdrawals? Do you start missing meetings? Or maybe you've, al you've always met with your financial advisor every quarter. The last three quarters you haven't met with them. I is there a problem here? Again, maybe not, but then mm -hmm. there might be some kind of problem. So we want our digital assistants to be proactive and say, hey, advisor, go reach out to your client. Something may be going on, um, mm -hmm. which, is, which is very, very valuable because again, every client we save, is inherently ROI, but it's hard to um, it's hard to um, explain that. Hey, we can do that. In theory, we could do this now. Okay, got it, got it. Thank you. So uh, the other question I have is, uh, you know, certainly you need to focus on your work, but uh, you need also to recharge somehow, and maybe you can uh, tell us what's, what's, what I call this and how do you recharge and uh, uh, what do you think uh, works uh, best for you and maybe some advices that you can tell us on that. Sure. Um, for me nowadays, I mean, I have, a, I have three little kids at home. So um, if I'm not working, I'm, I'm, I'm doing stuff with them. So that's also exhausting. So what, what I've been doing the last couple of weeks um, has been just uh, usually for my entire career, going back to college, that when I'm watching TV or when I'm relaxing, I always have the laptop open. And I'm always looking at something, just trying to, maybe I'm not working, but I'm always looking at, again, newer technologies or understanding what people do. What I've been doing now is just keeping the laptop closed and just, just doing nothing to try to kind of decompress and just watching um, Netflix. Watching okay. Netflix is kind of a, um, just trying not to think about work so I can come in the next day or whenever and, and kind of be very, very focused. Got it. Got it. So the last question I have. So what do you think is the most motivating part and most interesting part of your current job? And what is the most boring part of your job? I would say, I mean, I would say the most interesting part, the motivating part is, um, Again, so solving, I mean, we have clients, there's a lot of people out here that have problems and without, with, with our hands, with our brains, we can help solve them. And 
and create something from scratch as software developers. That's, that's really fascinating to me. Um, what, what is, what is, what is boring? What I don't like sometimes is, uh, I'll go back to when I started is, it's kind of knee jerking and saying, Hey, let's start coding this. Let's start developing this feature. It's going to be really good. And what's very, very demotivating is you spend a lot of time architecture wise, development wise, QA wise to do, to do your best on this feature, but no one uses it. Okay. That's very, again, that's very demotivating to me that I've spent so much time, so much energy and no one's using it. So um, that part of job I don't like, but um, again, you can't, not everything you work on is going to be the best um, and everyone's going to use it. So as I've matured, I understand that's part of the, the game. Got it. Got it. All right. So thank you very much for all the answers.